Hi, listeners. Welcome to Grief Out Loud. Remember the last time you tried to talk about grief and suddenly everybody left the room? Grief Out Loud is opening up this often avoided conversation because grief is hard enough without having to go through it alone. We bring you a mix of personal stories, tips for supporting children, teens, and yourself, and interviews with professionals in the grief world. Platitude and cliche-free, we promise. Grief Out Loud is hosted by me, Jana DeCristofero, and produced by Dougie Center, the National Grief Center for Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. Hey everyone, before we get to today's episode, I wanted to extend an invitation. I'm working on a new project and would love to hear from those of you who have had someone die of COVID-19. The news is filled with numbers, but we rarely get to hear about the people behind those numbers. If you'd like to learn more, you can email me at griefoutloud at dougie.org. Okay, so for today's episode, it was really hard to pick just one theme. Our guest, TJ Jackson, was a teenager when his mother, Dee Dee, was killed in 1994. But this isn't an episode about grieving a violent death. TJ is also part of a well-known family, but it's not an episode just about grieving in the public's eye. This episode is about both of those things, but it's also about so much more. In case you're wondering if TJ's last name is as legendary as it sounds, you are correct. TJ is the son of Tito and nephew to Janet and Michael Jackson. He has an impressive music career of his own as a solo artist and also as part of the band 3T that he has with his brothers Taj and Terrell. TJ and his brothers also created the Dee Dee Jackson Foundation. It's a nonprofit they started in 2015 in memory of their mother. Through their foundation, they provide support and resources for those in grief. Through that work, they've been running music workshops for children and teens, and they also have the Power of Love Show, a podcast dedicated to helping people learn more about grief and ways to cope with it. Okay, here's my interview with TJ. TJ, thank you so much for coming on Grief Out Loud. It's just an exciting opportunity to talk with you today. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. And I know you're usually on the other side of the quote-unquote mic of asking the questions from your um, podcast and show, The Power of Love, which I'm looking forward to being a guest on in the next month. So I really appreciate you you know, being willing to be the one answering the questions today. Yeah. Anything to help people, I'm, I'm all for it. So it's all good. When you think about your mom, what do you think of? Um, I think about a beautiful woman who lived her life for her kids and who made a huge impression on the community that she served. I think of someone who was unique, different, but full of love. What was different about your mom? My mom, she's she's from New York. So, you know, and I grew up, my whole family pretty much settled here in Los Angeles, California. So my mother was born and raised in New York and she just continued, she had that, that feistiness, that realness, that grittiness and never lost it. No matter what setting she was in, that was her. However, there was always this, this blanket of love around everything she did. So even if she was going to be direct with you, it was coming and you felt it come from a, a place of love. 
And she just had this really wonderful ability to, to, to do that, you know, because people, I think, naturally respect the truth. And my mother had that, but it was always, people never questioned her intention or, or the love that was behind her words or actions. Sort of that compassionate feistiness. Yeah. And, and I don't think it's as common as, as it maybe should be. So it, it stands out, at least for me. I, I don't, you know, I, I lost, I, I had just turned 16 when my mother was murdered. So I don't have a complete picture of who my mother was um you know when you're when you're a kid you see it one way but still uh, she made a huge impression on me that I've had that my entire life and will always have and I haven't seen that kind of great um combination in in anyone else and so you were 16 when she died and like you said you had kind of a unlimited time with her to know her Um, from a teen perspective or from a child perspective and that grief as well can be so different over time and so just wondering what do you remember about how grief felt when you were a teen versus how maybe it shows up in your life today yeah I, I what was so strange with when I lost my mother was I was having it seemed like foreshadowing events that something drastic was going to change my world um, prior to my mother's death, you, you would hear stories about someone losing a brother or a child or just ran, maybe it was a movie and it would stick and hit a little bit harder. So when the day did come when I lost my mother, it was one of those things where I kind of already, I don't want to say expected it, but it was one of those where it's like, it's my turn to deal with this. As much as it was a surprise, because of that, I felt like a little bit expecting something drastic was going to change. Um, so when it happened, being 16, my first initial res- response was to carry on in my world. You know, I remember going for my mother, um, scheduling my orthodontist appointments and taking me to me having to schedule and take my own myself. So I had to grow up, seemed like overnight once she passed. And because of that, and I think because of the love I got from my family and close friends, my grieving process was a bit different. It was very hot and cold. It was, you know, days where obviously I missed my mother tremendously, but days where I felt so busy that I was just moving. Truthfully, it wasn't until I had my first son five years later at 21 that it really hit me that my son's gonna was robbed of having an amazing grandmother. And who do I go to to answer some of these questions? Because my grand, my mother was the answer. She was, you know, and that's when it slowed down for me, actually, that that I didn't have my mother anymore. I mean, I obviously knew it when it happened, but that's when it really slowed down and, and it became an every minute type of thing was when I first had my son, it just, it, it, be, it got real on me, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think we talk often about how when people hit different life stages or milestones that the, the loss, the absence of that person, the absence of the role of that person sinks in, in a new way. And I appreciated too, what you were saying of like, you know, you're grieving your mother as a parent, but also grieving for your son, who's not going to get to know 
your mother as this amazing grandmother. Yeah. And that, and that's a continued theme, you know, when my son and, and my daughter who I named after my mother, you know, with the rest of the kids that are, that have come after my son, it's, a, it's a continued thing. So it's a constant reminder when my, my son had his first birthday, you know, seeing all my family and familiar faces and the one face that I know would have been happier than any isn't there. Um, you know, and when my son, you know, turned 10 double digits or when he got in trouble in middle school or high school there i that's when i kind of realized and i continue to realize that i i, I and he are missing a, a huge piece to our a little family and i just want to clarify one thing that you know i don't want people to think that you know when i graduated high school at 17 i don't want people to think it was an easy graduation or an easy process I just think I was kind of mentally prepared for the fact that it would be hard because my mother wasn't there. It seems like the moments when you aren't expecting it, it hits you harder. And and when my son was born, the minute he was born or the day wasn't born, I didn't think my mind would go there, but it did. Mm. And I think that's when it hit me or at least had a more deep effect so as an adult and as a parent with grief showing up in, in new and different and, and meaningful ways, what did you turn to for support, for guidance, for help in that, in that new kind of phase and realm of grief? Really thoughts. I'm a songwriter. Um, so just writing out my emotions, um, singing, um, sports, staying busy. I, I think what what I am fortunate to have done and what I continue to do is I try to stay busy. I try to, I don't try to let it hit me too hard in terms of getting too, I I try to continue on in life. I try to have a a positive mindset. I read a book called Embraced by the Light that really, you know, helped me, you know, because I like to think that I like to help people. And I like to think that I want the best for people. And when my mother, when when she was murdered, she was going through, I think, a challenging time in her life. She had just been divorced. Um, you know, she was stressed out. There was all different types of issues. So, in my in my viewpoint, whether it's wrong or right, the her last year was a tough year for her. So, in a way, it's that book that painted the passing from life to death in a more positive, upbeat way really helped me come to terms and, and I don't want to say be okay, but as much as possible, feel more comfort in knowing that she's in a better place kind of vibe, you know? That's what I turn to when 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 things are harder, when even with the loss of my Uncle Michael, it was like maybe he's in a, a, a more peaceful place. And it wasn't like, I doubt it. Now it was more, I have more conviction that he is. So for me, it's, it, it just changed my whole mindset of, of life and the whole process of, of birth, life and death, which I think has helped me a lot. I was having a conversation recently with some folks from Dougie Center about this idea of when someone dies, we miss them And oftentimes we're also worried about them or conflicted about them or concerned about the circumstances that maybe happen towards the end of their life or where are they now? And that sometimes when we find some 
peace of mind around those aspects, it opens more space to just miss them and not Mm. be so torn up about the circumstances or where they are now or if they're okay. I think that's right on. I think I, I agree with that. I was I, I was and still am a big reader and I remember being 16 and, and I just got my driver's license. My last photo with my mother is is us at my, you know, the DMV, me passing my driver's test. And when she passed, I used to go to the local Barnes and Noble to try to find a book. You know, this is before the internet, of course. So I needed to find some type of resource that I can learn on to, to figure out what happened and where she is. And, and I've always had a decent, you know, religious base, um, but I, I needed more, I needed a bit more answer. I needed a more detailed, more tangible, um, a, a more tangible idea of, of where mom is. And I read several books and, and really none of them really hit me at the time until I read that one, Embraced by the Light. And like I said, it just really helped me I felt like oh, I can I can smile again, knowing mom's okay, or knowing mom's in in a good place. And again, I think I was just needing I was reaching for something, you know. And the book provided it for me, and and that is a big reason why I'm happy with what my brothers and I started with the Dee Dee Jackson Foundation and what we do. We because I I felt like there was a lack of resources at that time to help people get through the situation. You'll never get over it, but just learning how to deal with it and to navigate through it. That's why I'm so happy with what we do and what you're doing and what so many are now doing is because I think this is a huge resource for those who may be going through it. Yeah. So ensure that people aren't having to figure it out quite so much on their own as you were as a, as a teen driving to Barnes and Noble, looking and looking for some sort of resource and support. And so, so you've mentioned, you know, the foundation that you and your brother started the DD Jackson foundation in honor of your mom. And could you talk a little more about the foundation's mission and how did the, the three of you come together to agree on doing this, knowing that everyone grieves so differently? Yeah, I think we come from, you know, we're from the Jackson family. And one thing besides music that you know, we seem to always see around our family is is some type of charity. I remember so clearly going to, you know, my Uncle Michael's shows in different countries and straight from the show, we'd go to a hospital, um, you know, or or before show, we'd go, you know, feed kids or what, whatever it was or give, you know, things to homeless. I saw that every day of my life. You know, and even with my brothers and I, we have a music group and we did, you know, did our thing and and did that kind of stuff as well. But then there became a time where a five, six year period where we weren't doing so much charitable stuff in the way we felt we should. And so I think I knew and my brothers knew and, and it just came together that we needed to start something in honor of our mother. We, we had a show on Lifetime called Jackson's Next Generation and my eldest brother didn't have a storyline. And that what became his storyline. And that was officially the launch of the foundation. At, in terms of what the purpose is, it, it was similar to what I've been saying is to let people know that they're not alone in their grief, um, to just try to be a source for people who may need it. Um, we really wanted to help those, especially the youth that may be dealing with loss, because sometimes it feels like 
although there's programs for them, there's not a true understanding of what they may be going through. And because we were all young when it happened to us, we felt maybe that was kind of our way of really connecting and really making a difference because we had went through it. So that's what we try to do. We try to help, you know, at this point, it's it's now everyone, but in terms of programs, we try to do programs for those, for the youth that, that may be dealing with significant loss. And it's, and it's not just death. It could be loss of a home, could be loss of a, you know, from a fire. It could be a, any type of significant loss that can change the course of their life. We try to provide some type of quote unquote therapy for them. And we, as musicians, decided to use music. You know, it's a, it's a very safe way to, to, to open up without kids realizing they're opening up or to expressing themselves. You know, everyone loves music. So that, that's what we do. We have a program called Music Hills, and then we do our weekly shows, kind of like this show, where we talk all about grief and, and trying to make it more familiar for the world. Because we, as I always say, the world loves to celebrate winners. After the Super Bowl, the champions going to Disneyland and, and, and the cameras are all on the winning team. But we forget about the losers and what they may be going through. And um, it's just something I think society does. We always want to be winners. But losing is part of life and we're all going to lose. That's just life. It's just I think our society doesn't do a good enough job um, shining a light on it and, and understanding what the emotions are that come with loss. We just want to do our part in in helping people get more familiar with loss. Um, And we try to do it in an upbeat, fun way so it doesn't seem so depressing, you know, because loss isn't easy, but it's part of our lives. With your Music Heals program, I imagine that's like going out to groups of kids and engaging with them with music and reaching out to kids who have had losses apart from necessarily having someone in their life die. And I think how relevant in the last two and a half years with the COVID pandemic of so much loss that are maybe not as uh, tangible or noticed or acknowledged. And I'm wondering, how did you all have to shift your programming during COVID? Because I think of being out with groups of kids and music, like that seems like such an in-person thing to to do. Yeah, it, it was challenging. You know, like everything, it seems like our, our world changed since COVID hit. Um, what we did is, as you said, before COVID, and, and now we're getting back into it, it was in-person you know, like kind of like, I don't want to say classes, but they're music get togethers. We brought a lot of instruments in. The kids would play instruments. We'd, we'd just jam for a bit. And then, you know, we'd, we'd pass out papers and we'd write we'd write a song together. Each kid would, would contribute a line, you know, and it was always with, with some fun. And, you know, I love that line. So the kid would feel good. But once COVID hit, it did get challenging because it had to go virtual. And in a way, you know, obviously fill in-person classes were more effective because you get to, you know, as instructors, you get to also see um, exactly what kids are going through, where in, in, in Zooms, you know, the mic or the camera, you can only really focus on one thing at a time or whoever's talking. But at the same time, I think it, it allowed some kids to open up because it felt like, you know, not as much pressure for some reason, or at least the kids felt that. So it had its its pros as well, but there's nothing like being in person. And, and as we are coming out, 
uh, world. You know, as we deal with this coming out of the pandemic, we we have slowly gotten back into our in-person classes and, and it's been wonderful. TJ, you mentioned, you know, being part of the Jackson family and your uncle, I mean, your uncle Michael dying and your mom and I mean, you were grieving personal losses, but as part of such a public family. And I wonder what role that played in your grief. I think in my mother's case, you know, um, I remember when my mother died, it was all over the news. It was like on hard copy and Access Hollywood and, you know, Entertainment Tonight and, of course, the regular news as well. But because of the way she lost her life, it became intriguing for the public and because of who we are as a family. So it was one of those things uh, where nightly they would talk about it and this new evidence and this. So my family, I, you know, I, I give them credit. They, they recognized that pretty early on what the news was going to do and what spectacle it would become. And they shielded us from it. You know, they kept us busy with, you know, we're, my brothers and I were very into our sports. We were very busy with our recording career. So we just kept busy. Um, and then, you know, after a year's time, it, it kind of died down. And now you don't really hear much about it. Maybe once every year or so, you'll see, you'll hear about a YouTuber who made did a special on the my mother's passing or, or something of that. But it's not an everyday thing. In the case of my uncle Michael, it's an everyday thing. You know, you'll hear his song or, or, you know, I was just at a volleyball tournament. And some kid was was waiting for the other team to take the court. And, you know, he was talking with his friend and they were laughing and, and I was watching the interaction. And then the kid just started doing the moonwalk. And it's like I could have never predicted two seconds earlier that something would quickly remind me of my Uncle Michael. And there it goes, you know, or someone's wearing a shirt that has his face on it. So it's a constant reminder of the loss. And for the first five, six years after he had passed, it was a tough challenge for me because I would find myself falling back into this kind of down state of mind. But my brother, he changed, he changed my mindset and in, in thinking of they're celebrating him. They're, um, they're, they're acknowledging him. They're, they're proud of him. And um, that's what my uncle would, would he be so happy to see people get satisfaction because of him. And that's helped me. So even though there's times where it's going to get tough, for the most part, Halloween, Thriller always plays. It, it, it becomes a proud thing. And it's different. I know 99% of people don't have to go through that, don't experience that. But it's my life and it's the way it's always been. My life has always been a bit different. And this is just another reason on why it's different. You know, I've been interviewed a few times on why and how teens and young adults are affected by the deaths of celebrities that they didn't know in person. You know, after Kobe Bryant died, when Juice World died, there's a lot of focus on like, why? Why are teens having such a big reaction to this? And is it good? Is it bad? How do we support them? And just wondering what kind of your thoughts are on people grieving for celebrities like your uncle who never knew him. Yeah. And we've done shows on this exact question. It's a great question because it's a true thing. And, and there's fans every day that reach out to me, DM me on my social media 
talking about that, you know, that they, they miss my uncle and you know, the, you know, they name their kid after him or, or whatever. Um, and, and the, the closest thing I can kind of relate to is, is Kobe's passing. You know, I, I met Kobe a couple of times, had some great interactions, but I wouldn't say we were friends or anything. Um, but when he passed, to me, it was a similar way of how my uncle passed, where it was very unexpected. It was one of those things you couldn't believe it. And um, in my case, it was literally down the street. I mean, I could look outside my balcony and see the smoke and see other hel- the news helicopters hovering. So it brought me back to my uncle's because after he passed, we all went to the family residence and there's helicopters around us. So there's that combination where it felt very similar, but the difference was I didn't have that personal strong connection like I did with my uncle. But Kobe being the same age I am and me being a huge basketball fan, it hit me so hard. And prior to that, I couldn't really understand or relate to mourning the death of a celebrity until Kobe. And it still hits me. It still saddens me tremendously. It's still hard for me. And and I think about his kids, his wife, um, and what they are going through, because I kind of know, or at least to say, I have an idea from dealing it with my uncle. You know, his daughters are going to have to deal with all the different emotions when they see a young kid just wearing a jersey, a Kobe jersey, who's buying an ice cream or whatever, who has no idea that impact is going to be had on on Ken. But it's a it's a true thing. And and it's something that I can't articulate, but it's something that I I feel for them because I know what that's like, you know, watching a basketball game or driving by the Staples Center. Those are constant reminders of their loss of their father that we sometimes in the you know regular people don't really understand but celebrities are part of our our world you know that they are a source of comfort source of joy um kobe there's millions of laker fans that you know kobe gave them amazing moments they you know where people were jumping as high as they can because he made a basket those those, those are emotions that you can't hide and don't forget And I think that's why when we lose a celebrity, it hits us as well, because they they brought so much joy and happiness and meaning to our lives that when we lose them, it's it's difficult. So in your work with the D.D. Jackson Foundation, with your Power of Love uh, show, interviewing people, talking about grief, kind of having it be part of your day to day life. I'm wondering, is there anything that you've learned recently that helps you better understand your 16-year-old self? I There's a couple of things that, that, again, I feel fortunate that I was just doing, you know, um, staying busy. I had a dog who was so important. We didn't do therapy, you know. We didn't go to therapy, I should say. I think there at that time, there was so much going on with my family um, in the public eye that there was this fear of, 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 you know, opening up completely that, you know, we didn't trust, we didn't know if we could trust everyone. So we didn't really go down that route, but looking back, I, I don't feel, I, I feel fortunate that I had my dog and it was my dog because for me, I just needed to express myself. I needed something to hug that can love me unconditionally when I needed it. And my dog played that role. 
Another thing is people grieve differently. Some people will cry every day. Some people won't cry. Some people can laugh. Some people can smile. Um, some people can't for a little while. I never was the kind of person that would judge my brothers on how they were responding or what they were doing and vice versa. And then just getting out with nature. You know, I remember right after my mother passed, um, prior to the funeral, we went to my Aunt Janet's house in Malibu and she lived on the beach. And um, we stayed with her for several days. And that was very therapeutic without realizing it. You know, we would hear the, the, the waves or see the ocean or walk on the, the beach at night, not realizing that that's, that was healing for me. So those are the kind of things that I'm learning about from the experts and from people that I just fortunately did. So, and I think that's why I've been able to, to get through the loss of my beloved mother as well as I have. I feel a lot of it is because I, I was grieving pretty well or going through the process pretty well without really realizing it. It goes back to this idea of, you know, we're all our own uh, wisest counsel when it comes to our specific grief and that there's a lot of things that can get in the way of us being able to access that knowing. And if mm-hmm. we have like the space and the support and the resources available, we can often find our way into what's going to be most supportive. But a lot of times it gets kind of offloaded to maybe to like outside experts of like, what should I do? And so it's just interesting to hear you say like, now that I talk to the people who I might have turned to who say nature and connection with animals and music and physical expression and creativity, you're like, oh, I actually naturally did all those things. Yeah. And, and, and touch as well. You know, my family, I have a big family and, and friends and who believe in love and who gave hugs. I'm, I've, I've said this before. The single most important hug I've ever received was from my Uncle Jermaine. After we went to the hospital and, you know, where they told us our mo- we lost our mother, she was no longer with us. We came back to the house and my Uncle Jermaine was the first family member I had saw since learning and, and, and you know, now realizing I, I lost my mother. Um, my father lived several hours away, so it took him a while to get to us. But I, I remember so vividly and clearly thinking, you know, what's the purpose of everything? This is just too much. I don't like this. And then my Uncle Jermaine gave me, a, it felt like a minute long hug, a strong, tight hug. And that was the first time I had cried since hearing about my mother, you know, rubbing my back and just the love behind the hug did so much for me. It told me I will be okay and that it's okay to cry and that I have family that will be there to support me and to catch me. And I tell them that to this day. I mean, I tell them that I can get, I'm getting emotional thinking about, but I tell them that you don't understand you have no idea how important that hug was for me. I'll always be thankful for it. Well, the name of your show, then the power of love seems to have even more poignancy in this moment of like, that's what you and your, and your family are trying to do is to provide that power of love to folks who are tuning into your show. 100%. You know, in our community we built is, is love and people are supporting each other. 
I think sometimes, you know, the, the word love can become a cliche or used in, in, you know, it has different, different meanings in the English language, but just the feeling of, of support being there for people and having a deep care form, that's a powerful thing that I think oftentimes we forget. You know, I think a lot of times we associate love with, you know, marriage or, you know, you want to be with someone, but it, it goes beyond that. You know, you can love a friend, you can, you can love, even I truly believe you can love a stranger. If you have true love for people and, and you care about people, that's a powerful thing. So for listeners who want to connect with you and with your work with the D.D. Jackson Foundation and your show, The Power of Love, like I'm sure you're everywhere, but what are some of the places that people can find you? Uh, exactly. Like you said, everywhere. Um, you can go on our website um, that has that has that's the central point where it could point you to our YouTube channel, um, Instagram links and to explain more of what we do. And even on the podcast, The Power of Love Show, if you if you like to listen to podcasts on Apple or Google or Spotify, we're on all those. Just look it up. D.E.E. Space D.E.E. Space Jackson's uh, Foundation. And the show is called Power of Love. And and my brothers and I, we're three years in. So there's over 150 episodes on different topics and different with, you know, with people who've lost in different ways with experts, you know, where some shows are just us where we're going through tips for avoiding grief or tips to stop avoiding grief. I'm sorry. And it's just been a very healing process for us. And we didn't realize it, but that's been, that's been our weekly therapy is, is doing the show. And I think it's just super important, as I said earlier, to, to continue to respect that you're going to have to deal with loss at some point in your life. And if you can prepare for it and be prepared for it, you very well may be able to navigate through it. And I've seen far too many people just throw away or go downhill after a significant loss. And I can understand partially why that's the case, but I just wish there was a further understanding and and a better job done from our society to explain that it's okay to grieve in your own way. Um, And and there's tools out there that can help you. Um, I think that's where we're dropping the ball as a society. And and that's what our show and, and our foundation tries to do. Well, I appreciate so much that the work that you and your brothers are doing and for taking time to be part of Grief Out Loud today. And I'm looking forward to being on your show uh, in a few weeks. So thank you for your time today, TJ. Awesome, Jana. Thank you. And listeners, I'll put links to all of the ways to connect with TJ and the Power of Love show and their foundation in our show notes as always. And grateful for each of you for tuning in, for listening, for making the show mean what it does. Special request to any of our listeners who are outside of the United States. If you're tuning in from a different country, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me directly at griefoutloud at dougie.org. That's D-O-U-G-Y dot O-R-G. That's also our website where you can find out more information about our local programs, about our free downloadable resources, and all of the past episodes of Grief Out Loud. So thanks again for listening. We hope you'll join us again next time.